We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, which you can see right there if you're watching on YouTube. That is where you can find all of our latest information, including all of our latest NFL draft and how it relates to Notre Dame information, which we've certainly had plenty of this week. Today's podcast is going to be about the NFL draft, which starts tonight. And it could be one of the busiest weekends for Notre Dame from a draft standpoint in a very long time. I've seen up to actually I've seen 11 different Notre Dame players. I, I believe if my count is correct, at least 10 different Notre Dame players predicted to be picked. If 10 players go tonight, right, well, actually over the next three days, because round one is tonight, rounds two and three are tomorrow. And then the rest of the rounds four to seven are on Saturday. If 10 players go, it would be the most Notre Dame players to get picked in the draft since 1994. So it's been very, very long time. And I could see that. I could even see Notre Dame going past that. And we'll get into that as we dive into the show. So here's how today's show is going to go. This is going to be interactive. I'm going to go through the different Notre Dame players, give my analysis of them kind of into the draft, heading into the draft, uh, talk about where their placement has been in mock drafts and, and say where I think that player should go. If you have questions and you have comments that you want to share during the show, uh, I will pull them up as we're talking about that specific player. So, for example, if you have a question about Tommy Tremble, uh, I see one already about that. I'll pull that up when we get to the Tommy Tremble section. So please feel free to share your questions or comments or whatever the case may be about these players. If it's a general draft question, 
We have a good question about some sleepers, things like that. Ask those and I'll get to those at the end. And then if there's enough people in the chat as we go live and that you have questions afterwards, we can talk about the draft as a whole. Uh, we could talk about the top quarterbacks. I was on a radio show the other day talking about how I rank the top five quarterbacks in the draft, and it's a lot different than most people have them. So we can dive into that if it's something that interests you. But for the main part of the show, we're going to focus on it from a Notre Dame point of view. So let's begin with the player that most people view as a lock to be a first-round pick, uh, <clears throat> and, and that is Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. This is a very interesting – this is going to be a very interesting night for not just Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, but I believe for the NFL as a whole because, to me, Jeremiah Wusu is the first of the true hybrid players. Now, I know Isaiah Simmons last year was considered that, and some people thought he could play safety, but he had a linebacker body. This is a little bit of a different situation because Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is the first guy that is sort of a positionless second-level player and how do teams view him. I, look, NFL teams, practically speaking, do a lot of situational packages and sub-packages and different things like that. Anybody that watches the NFL knows you don't just line up in your base defense and stay in it the whole game anymore. But at the same time, coaches are also – and GMs can be unwilling to say, hey, we – we can't fit this guy into one specific position, so how high are we going to draft him? If Jeremiah Wusu goes as high as his production and his talent should dictate, then this could kind of be the beginning of teams looking for these type of positionless second, you know, these second level players that could potentially be third level players in, in sort of the uh, in sort of the you know future as we look down the road. And then, of course, what does that do for Kyle Hamilton next year? That type of thing. So that's going to be the interesting thing with Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Most people project him to go in round one. And as we kind of look at to where he was, and if you haven't looked at it yet, at irishbreakdown.com today, I put up a, a story that took, I looked over 40 mock drafts and looked at where people place those players for the most part. And we'll begin looking at Jeremiah Wusukoromoa's right now. As you can see here, uh, a, a pretty wide range. All, all but two of the of the drafts that I looked at had Jeremiah Wusukoromo going in round one. I think he's a first-round pick. You look at this right here, and you see that there's one team more than any that stands out, and that's the Washington football team down here at 19. You see them. There's, there's 14 analysts. Uh, there's one I added to the story. That's Ryan Roberts. Uh, who who had a uh, got saw his mock draft late, so added into the story. So there's 14, there's 13 here, and then 14 down here with Lance Zierlein, who has him trading down to uh, night has the Washington trading down to 19 to take Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. For a long time, the Raiders were the hot pick for Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. That's kind of died down a little bit, but you still see a lot of people taking. Uh, there's still six different people that project him to go. Uh, to the to the next level, including a couple people here and Jared Smola and Benjamin Albright, uh, who were guys that graded out really high last year when it came to draft accuracy. So that was good to see. But honestly, from that 17 on down, I could see him going. I was a little surprised that there weren't more people that had Jeremiah Wusukoromo going 18 to the Dolphins. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that could depend on on what Miami does with their first for their first pick. You know, if they take a lineman with that first pick, then I could see them going 
with a skilled player at, at 18. If they take a skilled player with their first pick, then I could see them going defense with their, their second pick in the first round. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. If he falls past Washington, that's when it's going to get really interesting because one of two things is going to happen. Either he's going to fall to the bottom of the first round or out of the first round or some team that really likes him late in the draft, you know, so, so or late in the first round. So Jacksonville, Cleveland, New Orleans could then jump up and, and take him depending on, you know, again, a lot of this is going to go on how the draft unfolds. Does Micah Parsons get picked in the top 10, which then could bump up Jeremiah Wusukoromoa or Zayvon Collins? Does Micah Parsons fall as runs on other positions happen in the draft, which then could drop Jeremiah Wusukoromoa down a little bit, assuming teams consider Micah, Jones, Micah Parsons a better prospect. So let's talk about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa a little bit. T to begin... You know, to me, when, when I look at Jeremiah Usukoromoa, I see a guy that that doesn't really have the ideal no, NFL fit from a traditional standpoint because of what we talked about. He's not a guy that you look at and say, okay, he's going to be a Sam linebacker. He's going to be a Will linebacker. He's going to be a safety or whatever the case may be. And it's the same debate that we saw last year with Isaiah Simmons. And so... <laughs> That's why I say there's there's teams that are just going to be uncomfortable drafting a guy that doesn't have a set, you know, Sam, Mike, Will, Rover, whatever position. And so, but when you look at him, to me, he is a he is a second level player. He is a pure second level player. And, and I think when you break down his game, I think the first thing that stands out about Jeremiah Wusu Koromo is elite athleticism. I don't think he has elite long speed. Like I I doubt if he ran a 40, I doubt he would run the time that people think that he would. But his explosiveness, his short area quickness, his burst, his change of direction, his hips, all of that grades out as elite, in my opinion. His length is above average. It's not great, but there's definitely linebackers that are that are worse. It grades out as above average. But his ability to strike with power for a 221-pound guy is really impressive. You don't see guys with that type of size deliver that kind of punishment without having to really build up speed to get there. And so that's really what impresses me about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is yes, he's 221 pounds. And yes, he is a guy that, you know, that, that lacks so, sort of the, um, you know, the, the length or height or ideal size or lower body build. He's a guy that's a little bit, um, you know, a little bit of a, tweener when it comes to the size but you know because he's not huge and he's not a real um, you know real long guy but he strikes with a lot of power and that's something I look for now the thing that's kind of a, a drawback is he's not great when it comes to block destruction from a technique standpoint so there may be some teams that are a little hesitant to put him in the box not just because of his size but because he does need to improve his block destruction technique. But I think that's something that can be worked on. He's good at it at times. He just needs to be more consistent with it. And I think that the th that's the thing that for me, uh, when I look at Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, it really stands out is, is that that part of his game is something that I that I like that, that to me makes me think maybe he's a guy that could play inside the box. I don't think he's a guy, and, and to me this is going to determine just how high he goes. I don't think he's a guy that is is dead set that he has to be out of the box. I don't think he's a guy that has to be in the slot all the time. I used to think that. I, I really did. But when when we saw him against Boston College, it was it 2019? And 
they played him inside, and I was surprised by that. And at the time, I you know watching the game live, I was like, oh, I don't I don't like this. But he handled himself very well. Now I'm not saying he's a guy that you're going to put in the box and sit him there all the time. That would be a mistake, in my opinion. But he is someone that I believe could play in the box, which gives him even more flexibility and more versatility uh, when you talk about his projection to the next level. So I do think that Jeremiah Wusukoromoa uh, is a guy that could play inside more than maybe some people think. And I think if that's the case, he's going to jump up in the draft. But one of the things that really stands out about him as a prospect is he's an excellent coverage. And it's because of the, the foot quickness that we talked about, the change of direction, the ability to flip his hips and run. He does have a very good acceleration and recovery speed. Uh, he's a guy that when I look at Jeremiah Wusukoromo, I see instincts and coverage. I see a guy that when he trusts the technique and he doesn't freelance too much, which is one of my criticisms of him, he's very instinctive in coverage. He gets his hands on a lot of passes. He's a playmaker. You know, he's a guy that when you when you look at him, you say, boy, this is a guy that, you know, when, when he gets a chance to go make a big play, he's going to make it. And, and it's it's not even just being at the right place at the right time. He just has an, an instinct, a knack, in my opinion, of of making those kind of plays. You know, we, you think of the Clemson game and it, it just I mean, actually, you know what? Let's pull let's pull those two plays up against Clemson. We're going to pull those up and I'm going to show those right now uh, just to kind of to, to kind of to back up my point of what I'm talking about here. So when you look at this play, for example, this is against Clemson. This is the tackle for loss. This this play right here to me shows a couple really impressive things. Number one, you see tremendous instincts, right, to read this play. But then it is not easy for a linebacker to be heading. The, you know, look, if you look at it, he's heading inside and they pitch the ball to Travis Etienne, who many people think is going to be a first round pick getting outside, and he's able to redirect, get to him, and then to take the ball away, that is a big-time play. I mean, that was a game-changing play. Notre Dame had gone up on Clemson. I believe Clemson, it was 13-10. Clemson has the ball here. They have a chance to go uh, make a play here and, 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 and take a lead, and who knows what would have happened there. So then he does that, and then it's next thing you know, it's 20-10. to 10. Clemson gets the ball back. This is the third down of the very next series. You'll see Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. He's now down to the bottom of the screen. He's over the top of the number two receiver. This is Amari Rodgers, who also is going to get drafted this weekend. And initially, Amari Rodgers beats him, right? Because you see his, his technique right here wasn't great from, from Jeremiah. His, you see his, he kind of gets caught here with his foot feet not in the right place. He ends up trailing. He's, he gives up more ground than he'd like to. But just the instinct to then come back, find the ball, get his hands on the ball, knock it out, and then Nick McLeod recovers it. And then Notre Dame, three plays later or four plays later, kicks a field goal to go up 23 to 10. That sequence right there completely changed that football game. You go back to the Iowa State game and look at what he did to completely turn that game around in 2000 at the end of the 2019 season. He had multiple plays like that where he was able to come from behind and knock balls out at a, at a way that you just – have to be impressed by that and it because it happened all the time it's something where it's not just he happened to be at the right place at the right time he just has a knack for making those kind of plays and so I view Jeremiah Wusukoromoa as a for, pure first round pick now could he slide out of the first round anything's possible I mean there were you know Cole Komet was getting a lot of first round love late last year and he fell you know over 10 spots into the second round so I mean anything could happen but I'd be surprised if if he doesn't if he if he doesn't get picked somewhere in the first round. What's going to be interesting is is there a team in the twenties that kind of falls in love with him and is willing to move up to get him? 
That's what I'm curious about. Or is it a thing where teams like him, but it's more of a situation of he happens to be, you know, the the top guy on the board when we draft at that time, as opposed to a guy that you move up for. So that's what I'm interested in seeing from Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. All right. So up next, and this is where you start getting into some parts of the draft where um, you, you this is this is the part of the draft where after Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, um, I'm curious to see kind of how the rest of the draft falls because there's some ranges here for these next couple guys. Now, Liam Eikenberg is considered uh, the, for the most part, the, I, I think I've only seen one draft and I, and that even that was someone's previous draft. It wasn't even their final draft where somebody actually had Aaron Banks going ahead of Liam Eikenberg. Uh, that's not something I see very often. Uh, actually, let me find, there was a pick. So 56. So that was, See Ryan Wilson. Yeah, there was one pick where they had where they had Aaron Banks going one mock that Aaron Banks going one spot after Liam Eikenberg. So, and then earlier drafts, I saw one where Liam Eikenberg went behind Aaron Banks. But for the most part, the vast, vast, vast majority of drafts have Liam Eikenberg going higher than anyone else uh, for Notre Dame. So, if you look here, this is Liam Eikenberg. This is the comp the compilation of all those mock drafts. Now, keep in mind, more most of the drafts. The, the, the mock drafts are only one round. So you're only going to see, you know, you're not going to see Liam Eikenberg on as many drafts as Jeremiah Wusakoromoa because he's not in the first round in all those drafts. But as you can see here, he is in the first round in a number of, of drafts. And here's the other thing about Liam Eikenberg, and this, this could be a good thing for him, is he's getting a lot of buzz heading into the draft and, and getting buzz from guys that, in my opinion, are connected guys. So I want you to look right here. Uh, at number 31 of the Baltimore Ravens from Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network. That was his mock draft that he released yesterday. Here's why that mock draft matters to me maybe a little bit more than others. And that is, when you look at Daniel Jeremiah, this is a former NFL scout. This is a guy that's been in offices. This is a very well-known, well-respected guy that gets a lot of information. So this isn't just someone that's kind of doing mocks and putting mocks together like I'm going to do later, just kind of for fun and then reading different people. This is a guy that does his homework, and, and he's usually a pretty accurate, in my opinion, an accurate guy in regards to maybe not who's going to get picked, but who teams like. And he he has Liam Eikenberg going 31st. Now, he doesn't have Liam I think Liam Eikenberg's in the 40s or the 50s for him when it comes to his draft ranking. So the fact that he's projecting him to go 31 to the Ravens tells me that that there's that the buzz we're hearing, Peter King, who has, you can see down here, has Liam Eikenberg going uh, number uh, 38, which is just outside the first round. He's even talked about how there's a lot of first-round buzz for Liam Eikenberg. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he goes tonight. And then, of course, the Indianapolis Colts are the top team that's projected for Liam Eikenberg. If you see there, there's obviously the, the three people that have him taking number one, uh, or with the excuse me, with the Colts pick in the first round, that their spot where they are projected to pick, which is the the twenty first spot. And then two others have him going, have the Colts trading down with the Packers to that twenty nine spot, and including Chad Reuter of the NFL Network and nfl.com and and have him going still late in the first round and then of course there's that second round pick from dane brugler of him going to um the indianapolis colts and you can see here also that the jacksonville jaguars are a popular spot for liam Eikenberg. 
the Pittsburgh Steelers were a popular spot for a while. I could still see the Steelers potentially taking Liam Eikenberg in the first round. And what's going to be interesting is it's like with a lot of these positions, receiver, linebacker, uh, offensive tackles, another one where is there a run? Do we see a run and the, the, on those guys early? So like last year, for example, when you look at the NFL draft, you know, the, the New York Giants took Andrew Thomas fourth and it started sort of a, a run of those top those top tackles. And then you you look at other times where a couple of years ago when the Philadelphia Eagles uh, or excuse me, the Houston Texans were looking to draft uh, a, an offensive tackle. There's a lot of people that thought they liked Andre Dillard. The Eagles jumped in front of the Texans to take Andre Dillard and the, the Texans panicked and took Titus Howard who I didn't, I didn't see anybody project him in the first round, took him 31st overall. So you know, there was four offensive tackles that went in the first round of 2019. There were five, six offensive tackles that went last year, including Isaiah Wilson, who is now booted, basically booted out of the league, uh, two in 2018, two in 2017, and then four in 2016. So you, tackle isn't a position that teams are necessarily reaching for, but when we have those years where a team – you know, maybe drafts a guy early that people didn't expect, then you can get into those situations where now all of a sudden everybody gets bumped up. And if you thought you could get such and such player at, at 21 and that guy's gone at 14, you now may say, hey, look, one, do we just take Eichenberg for need? Or do you see a lot of movement down? And so teams jumping up to get a receiver or to get a linebacker or to get an edge rusher or to get you know, if a quarterback falls and then how that movement then allows teams to kind of drop down and be more comfortable taking a player like Liam Meikenberg. So those are all the things. That's what I love about the draft is all that maneuvering around and and who's going to pick where and, and, and who's going to be that guy. So uh, Liam Meikenberg's draft positioning is going to be very interesting for me. So when, when I when I look at that, I, to me, I, I'm, I'm still a little confused not confused. I'm not confused by it, but I'm still a little surprised that his length was as short as it was. Cause I think they said there's not a single NFL starting offensive tackle right now that has arms shorter than 33 inches. And Liam Eikenberg's were less than 30 inches. The reason I was surprised by it is because you didn't, you never saw it show up on film. His length, as far as his arm length, his wingspan is better, but his arm length was very similar to uh, that of Robert Hainsey. When you watch Robert Hainsey on film, his lack of length shows up on film. You see it on film. And it's, um, you know, it, it can be a problem at times for him against top level pass rushers, which is why I think Robert is best inside. And, and at times, Robert would have to really extend himself to get on a block, which then allowed him to lose his base, which you move him inside. That doesn't be, that's not an issue for him anymore. But with Liam Eikenberg, I never saw his length as an issue. I, I really didn't. And that's why I was surprised that, that, that he, that he checked in where he did when it came to arm length. And I'm curious if teams have reached out to try to get a second opinion on that. I don't know if that's happened or not, but I'd be curious. But I would if I was a scout and I saw him test with that short of arms and I didn't see it on film, I, I'd be making phone calls to Matt Bayless and be like, hey, you guys measure these guys. Is that what is that what you've got for his arm length? I, I would I would be having those conversations. I'd be calling the, the, the place out in, I think, Phoenix where he's working out and say, hey, look, you know, can you send us another measurement or something like that? I'd just be curious about that because it didn't it didn't check out. What I like about Eichenberg, he's very smart. He's got really heavy hands. I think he's he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. And I think his testing numbers showed that. I mean, his testing numbers that he did at the pro Notre Dame Pro Day 
were, if you look at going back all the way to 2016, if you look at the tackles that were taken in the first round since 2016, his pro shuttle and his three cone drill were fourth among all those tackles that tested in that time, including better than I believe every single tackle that was taken early last year. Uh, you know, when you look at Tristan Wirfs and Andrew Thomas and Mackay Becton, Mackay Becton didn't uh, didn't test, but Tristan Wirfs, all those guys. Liam Eikenberg had better agility numbers than all those guys, which to me silenced some of the criticisms of his athleticism. And I never bought the athleticism. I think his technique and the technique that Jeff Quinn teaches can maybe make it look like he's not as quick, but that's more of a, that's more of a technique thing. It's more of a, you know, they really sink heavy uh, and, and that type of thing. So I, I never bought the lack of athleticism. I'm not saying he's an elite athlete, but I think he's a, he's a good quality athlete that has, consistently throughout his career handled speed well. The only time he didn't handle speed well, in my opinion, was all the way back in 2018 when he went and got beat pretty badly by Brian Burns. That was also because he was a young guy back then and he was still kind of coming into his own and and he got worked a little bit. But he's handled plenty of speed rushers since then. We've seen him against Chris Rumpf. We've seen him against the guys at Florida State this this past season. Um, you know, ate up Josh Kando. We've seen him against, you know, Clemson. I didn't think he, he had a problem with their speed. He didn't have a problem with Alabama speed, in my opinion. His technique got away from him a little bit in the second half, and he lost his base, and he got knocked back a couple times. But in the first half, he was handling himself just fine. So um, I just look at it and say, to me, Liam Eikenberg is, to me, a first-round pick. And is he a right tackle, left tackle? I, look, if you have a need to tackle either one, I'm looking at Liam Eikenberg. And the, the interesting thing about him, too, is, there's a lot of tackles in this draft that people are looking at it that like Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma state who also has shorter arms. So it's a little strange. It's a weird year, but to me, he's the first round pick. We'll find out tonight if he is, if he stays that way, but it, it's just interesting that when I watched Liam Eikenberg on film in 2020, he was significantly better in my opinion than, than Mike McGlinchey was in, in 2017. In my opinion, Mike McGlinchey went ninth. And now people talk about Liam Meikenberg may fall, you know, into the twenties, but end up being a, a second, potentially a second round pick. I, that that surprises me a little bit, and I'm I'm wondering if if maybe that is because he doesn't have the same offensive line coach. And what I mean by that is not a knock on Jeff Quinn, but more from the standpoint of when Harry was coaching those guys, he had that reputation with NFL teams where if Harry said, "Yeah, this guy's legit. This guy's big time." You're going to take his word for that, and and that's why you saw guys get drafted where they did. You saw it with Zach Martin, who was drafted a little higher than people thought. Mike McGlinchey went way higher than people thought. Quentin Nelson went about where people thought, and then Ronnie Stanley went a lot higher than people thought. Not much, but a little bit higher than people thought. And so I just I think he's a first round pick. I don't know what you all think, and what you if you all agree with that, let me know. But that's what I think. Now, after Eichenberg, we get to the point where, okay, who's next? And I think that's where we could get some some differences. I think, obviously, I, I could see a scenario in which Aaron Banks is the next guy picked. I could see a team falling in love with his upside and picking him in the second round. I could see Tommy Tremble being the next guy picked. And I could even see in this if, if we get into the third round and there hasn't been a third player selected, I could even see a scenario in which Robert Hainsey is the next guy picked. Um, so I, I think for me, when I look at, at this, this is where it's going to get interesting is from two to five is where I think, especially if Liam Eikenberg falls out of round one, two to five is where we could see the most action. And we're, we're going to stick to offense and, and, and we're going to look at some of those guys next and, and look at, at, uh, at the draft. So let's look at Liam Eikenberg and Aaron Banks right here 
you guys can see from their draft. Let me make this a little bit bigger for you. All right. So that we can see a little easier. In every mock draft where they went beyond two rounds or one round, Tommy Tremble was a third round pick. And as you can see from here, it was it was 73rd with the Panthers to 98 to the Saints. I didn't see anybody that had him in the fourth round or later. The interesting thing about Tommy Tremble is, for me, Tommy Tremble, when he's at his best, is a first round, just late first round to second, early second round pick. When you look at his combination of, he's an elite blocker, by far the best blocker in the draft. He's very athletic, which we saw at the pro day. And, and if you paid attention, you saw it on film too. Uh, he's got very good athletic tools overall, body control, those type of things. And he's and he's all that checks out as a late first round pick, in my opinion. Then you look at things like consistency in the past game. He needs a lot of work as a route runner. Wasn't a very sharp route runner. Didn't always show the best instincts as a route runner. He has he'll make a really impressive catch. We saw it against Clemson both times. He made a really nice fourth down grab against Clemson in the ACC title game. They got called back because uh, of a penalty, but it was it was a big time play. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with this by the way, but, um, when you look, when you look at Trumbull, the route running needs work and he would just drop balls that you're just like, how does he drop that? He would make really tough catches, but then he would drop easy throws. He, I remember the, the drop he had against Duke on a, on a crossing route. I mean, it hits him in the chest. There's no, or hits him right in the hands. There's nobody near him and he just drops it. And you know, th that lack of concentration, that lack of consistency was evident in a lot of other instances as well in the past game. So to me, if if you look at Tommy Tremble, when he's at his worst, he's a fifth, sixth round pick. And that's where that consistency, the 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 under the the route running that just doesn't meet up to my standard of what a guy who's in his third year in college should be, uh, the lack of consistency catching the football, that's fifth, sixth round type of deal. So do you look at the first round talent? Do you look at the fifth, sixth round production at times? And then I think people settle in kind of like around round three. That's not always how it goes in the NFL. So even though there's the mock drafts can consistently have him as a third round pick, I could see him going higher. Look, there's guys like Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. I saw somebody that actually had Pat Fryermuth in the first round. I saw a couple mock drafts that had him in the first round. That would surprise me quite a bit. And if I was, if you are a team, if your team picks Pat Fryermuth in the first round, that's um that's problematic for him. But for you, for your team, in my opinion. But Tremble to me. T Tremble and Brevin Jordan for me are the next two guys on my on my board after after Kyle Pitts at tight end because I as I've said before I'm an upside guy. Pat, Pat Fryermuth probably the most ready to play as far as an all around player, but upside wise Brevin Jordan and Tommy Tremble, Tommy Tremble being number two as far as an upside standpoint has it, but you know it's a risk because you you you're projecting that he will get better in the pass game. Now the thing I think that helps him is because of the way that Notre Dame used him in the run game. You may have teams like the 49ers and, and the Broncos, teams that still use a fullback from time to time, may look at him and say, hey, we can use him there too. And I think that's something that boosts his stock, where you're not doing that with Pat Fryermuth. You're not doing that with Brevin Jordan. You're not really going to do that with Hunter Long. I think those are the things that could help Tommy Tremble stay in that third-round area. I wouldn't be completely shocked if he fell a round or two, just depending on how the draft goes. But I think this third round sweet spot is is really where I'd be comfortable taking Tommy Trumbull. If if you had a big need, and you know, and you're there in the second round, I, I could see a team maybe 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 going there. And, and so 
here's a question about uh, uh, about this, and and so it's, I've I've seen people talk about Cleveland as being an, an option for him. I I don't know if I see that one as well, and I'm pulling up their depth chart now because I believe that the Browns signed a or got a tie. They have uh, yeah, they have Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant, who they drafted recently, and they also have David and Joku. So I I don't know if that's necessarily a big need for the Browns, at least in, in my opinion, I don't think it necessarily is. I mean, they, they, they traded for Austin Hooper last year. He wasn't great, but you know, I, I didn't get that trade to begin with, but they drafted Harrison Bryant last year. You know, I think, I think he's a pretty good player. I think I would want to see how he can pan out. And then you have David and Joku. So I don't know if like, look, the Browns may like him and say, Hey, look, we can use him. Cause they've got really, you know, really good backs and maybe say we can use him as a, as a, 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 a fullback at times, but you're not going to do that in the second round. And I think that the round where you're going to be comfortable drafting him, if you're the Browns is, is probably going to be a situation where he's going to be a lot later than, than he's, he's just not going to be around at that point in time. So uh, I don't see them taking him in the second, third round, unless it's a situation. And you'd probably Maddie, you'd probably know this better than me because I don't follow the Browns on a day-to-day basis is, you know, maybe there's, they're, they're not happy with Austin Hooper. Maybe they want to get out of that contract and maybe, you know, maybe they they don't like Njoku's future. I, I mean, who knows? I, I I think he's a talented guy too. But like Tremble, he was pretty raw coming out. So it's curious to see kind of how how all that plays out. But you know, Tremble to me is a guy that that I could see, I could see being a, 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 a second third round pick is where I think the sweet spot would be for him. And it, but depending on how the draft goes, he could fall a little bit. But if I had to predict, I'd predict him to be in that that second third, that, that mainly that third round area. Maybe somebody uh, sneaks up and takes him in the second round. And this is an interesting one. So the Titans are, are an interesting team when it comes to Tommy Tremble. If you look at that at the, the list that I show, there's two different people that have him going in the top 10, including this Shane Hallam guy from Fake Pigskin. I, so where I got a lot of these mock drafts from, just so that you know, uh, is – I looked at, uh, I found these, there's these lists that kind of show who were the top mock drafters last year from an accuracy standpoint. And so I tried to, the guys that finished in the top 10, I tried to look at their mock drafts and, and use their mock drafts at times to to really look at that. And so, you know, you look at Tennessee and that's a team that's an an interesting pick because, you know, they, they lost their tight end from last year, I believe, right? So that's an interesting team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Team where, you know, John U. Smith is not there anymore. And, or, you know, is Anthony Ferkser a guy that you're really looking at saying, you know, that's, that's a great future tight end? So, I mean, there's a need. And then you talk about, to your point, um, 
Tommy, he's a great blocker, and your best player is a big running back. So I could see a scenario in which you look at Tommy Tremble and you say he can do some of the things that John U. Smith did in the past game, at least from an athleticism standpoint. But there's also some things we can do with him as a fullback and an edge blocker and a wing and those types of things where it really helps our running game. So that's a team that I would I would be interested to see um, looking at him in this in this draft, and I think would be a place would be a good fit for Tommy Tremble. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about Aaron Banks next. This is where you start to see a little bit of range from some of these guys. Tremble uh, Banks is you know second round. One guy with you know late uh, kind of late-ish in the second round. There's like 64 picks in the second round, so some bottom half of the second round. Then a lot of third round picks, and then or three third round picks, and then four fourth round picks. To me, this is just going to be determined by. When you took it, look at Aaron Banks. You see a big kid played very well at the sprint in, in the in the Senior Bowl. A lot of experience. Was a consensus All American this past year, like Liam Eikenberg. He was a guy that is a, is an athletic player for his size. In in a he's athletic in a short area. He's athletic from a gets off the ball quickly, works vertically on down blocks, drive blocks, things like that. Not great at pulling and, and counters and things like that. Uh, physical kid, strong hands. The problem with, with Aaron Banks is he's wildly inconsistent. And you're going to have games where you could watch Aaron Banks on film and be like, this guy's a first-round draft pick. I mean, there are games where you're like, wow, he's their best offensive lineman today. He's also a guy that moved out to tackle last year and showed himself to be comfortable there. Notre Dame had tried to convince him to come back and play tackle this year. uh, That was their enticement to try to get him to come back to Notre Dame. He started his career as a tackle. So there is some some short area quickness and athleticism to work with. That size, he's got length, uh, he's got punch, he's got experience. When he's on his game, he's a first round, at worst, second round pick. The problem is, is when he's not on his game, he's a sixth round pick. And, and that's there's a lot of six round pick film available of Aaron Banks, not as much in 2020, but even then still some. And then you go to and you watch the Senior Bowl and you see exactly what I'm talking about. During the game, he was really good, but then and there were snaps and one on ones where he just ate up the guy he was going against. But then there was other snaps where you know the guy would come off the ball and he'd get his arms out really wide and his arms would kind of go around the guy. And you're like, how does a guy with 30 plus starts shoot his hands that wide as consistently as he does? You know, he'll hit a guy and stop his feet. You know, just the consistency of effort and the consistency of execution with Aaron Banks is not always there. And that's why if you look at Aaron Banks from a just take the draft, like take any other personal situations out and just look at what's best for his draft stock, it would have been better for him to come back, assuming he felt he was going to get coached up uh, at, at a way that would take his game to the next level. There are some other reasons that Aaron Banks is going pro that aren't just about this is the highest my draft stock's ever going to be. And and when you know that, you understand why uh, uh, he came out. And I have no problem with him coming out. But there's a lot of work for his game. So what it comes down to is 
do you have an offensive line coach that's going to look at this kid and and stand on the table and pound the table and say, give me this kid. I can work with this kid. I can coach this kid. Uh, he's got the talent that I look for. He fits our scheme. Uh, he's a coachable kid. He's a, he's a good kid. I mean, I've never heard anyone say anything about Aaron Banks. Yes, he lacks maturity at times, and there's those types of, of concerns and criticisms, but it's 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 more like just focus wise. It's not he's not getting in trouble. He's not out breaking the law like like other kids. It's nothing like that. It's just you know, he's just a kid that just needs some guidance and needs a, a, a he needs a foot up his behind from time to time. And, and so that's why I felt of all the of all the players that if you look at if Harry Heastan would have stayed, the player that would have benefited the most from Harry Heastan staying had he not left for the NFL would have been Aaron Banks because he would have put his foot up his behind and and got the most out of him because I think his upside is probably the highest of all the Notre Dame offensive linemen. It, as far as when he's at his best, he's as good, if not better, than, than Liam Eikenberg. It's just Liam Eikenberg's at his best all the time, whereas Aaron Banks, you just don't know what you're going to get. So if you have that offensive line coach that's willing to you know, pound the table and say, hey, this is our guy, we got to take him, then I could see him going second or third round. But if you're saying, hey, we need a plug-and-play guy, I don't know if how comfortable you're going to be with that and how, how many teams want to take an upside guy that needs work in a premium spot, which is a, that round two and three. And then when you consider the fact that he's mostly a guard, he's, he's projects as a guard, I think that lowers his, his draft value a little bit more as well. So I could see him sliding a little bit. But I'm hoping that there's a couple offensive line coaches that really fall in love with him and, and can, you know, to the point where they're willing to stand on the table in the second, late second, early third round and, and take Aaron. And like, for example, you know, look, the Broncos have two good guards. You know, I'm a Broncos fan. For example, they have Dalton Risner who they drafted a couple years ago. Love him. Graham Glasgow, who they signed as a free agent last year. Uh, they drafted Lloyd Cushenberry last year. He didn't, he didn't play that great, but let's just say the Broncos didn't like Cushenberry and they were ready to move on from him after a year, which, you know, I, I would hope that they would. And they say, look, we're going to move Graham Glasgow to center where he's played before, and we're going to draft Aaron Banks in the third round. I'd be fine with that. I, I could definitely live with that. I think that's the kind of upside that he got. And the reason I use the Broncos as an example is I think Mike Munchak, Mike Munchak is the kind of offensive line coach that could get the most out of Aaron Banks. That's going to be the key for him. Uh, so so that's an interesting draft spot. That's that He could be a guy that goes tomorrow night. Uh, in round two or three, and he's a guy that could fall a little bit, and, and that's going to be interesting. They, let's stick with the rest of the offensive line. You have Robert Hainsey here. He's gone from rounds three to five, round four being the most popular. I've talked to some people who've said that there are teams that look at him as a third-round pick. Now, the question about whether or not they take him in the third round is going to be determined by where their needs are and, and who's left on the board. But I've had teams I've – ha I've talked to people that have said that there are teams that view him as a third-round pick. Got my tea mug today. My mom actually got me this one. Uh, my my wife made my tea today, and she got all sentimental. I wanted like a cool mug. My wife got me a sentimental mug that my my mother made for got for me. So uh, I, I I've seen Pittsburgh. I've seen Philadelphia. I've seen uh, Cleveland. As far as teams that I've talked, you know, te not that I've talked to, but people I've talked to have said these are teams that potentially could could look for him and have a need for him. Uh, you see a, a wide range of teams. The only the only double up I saw was the Jets. Two different people had him going to the Jets. I think that'd be a good place for him too. Look, you you draft a good. The, what's going to be interesting is the teams that draft quarterbacks in the first round, especially teams that aren't 
traditionally good. The Jets being one, the Jaguars being another. You say, okay, well, you drafted this big-time quarterback. Do you want to draft an offensive line? You have to draft offensive linemen to protect them. I can see those teams looking at Robert Hainsey in round three or four because, number one, Robert Hainsey could start at three different positions day one, both guards and center. The other thing about Robert Hainsey is he's a guy that could get you out of a game at tackle. He could go play tackle if if something happens and guys get hurt, and he's going to get you out of that game. I don't know if he's a tackle on a on a on a game to game basis because of the length that we talked about, and he doesn't have the the thickest lower body. So I think the the lack of length with not having that big girth like a Rashawn Slater has, I think is why he needs to move inside, and he looked great inside at the at the Senior Bowl. So I see if you need a center, you're going to look at Robert Hainsey. If you need a guard, you're going to look at Robert Hainsey. And maybe there's teams that, that look at the kid from Wisconsin Whitewater and say, you know, he did this workouts out in the woods and all this other stuff, but I'm sorry. I'm taking Robert Hainsey over that kid any day of the week. I think the only pure center that I've seen that I would consider taking over him would be Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. But even then, I I, I think a case could be made that Robert Hainsey is one of the three or four best pure interior players as far as pure interior, meaning how he projects in this draft. And, and I think he's going to go a lot higher. I think he's just, he was overlooked his entire Notre Dame career. He's a lot like Zach Martin in that regards, his length, his measurements, his measurables, all were very similar to Zach Martin's. His testing numbers were all similar to Zach Martin's. He put up 32 reps on the bench. Liam Meikenberg did 33. Those are two of the best numbers that offensive linemen put out. So he's got that punch. He's got those heavy hands. And, and, and I think inside you'll see that a lot more because he had to focus on his technique more outside because he knew he lacked length. And so he couldn't be as heavy with his hands outside because he had to worry about being in space and angles. I think when you put him inside, he's going to be a better mover in the run game because he does have those heavy hands and he's got a very powerful upper body. And then with his his ability to play with leverage and his ability to fire off the ball with quickness, I think they're going to make him a very good run blocker. And of course, he's going to project out very well as a pass blocker in tier as well. So I, I think Robert Hainsey's a guy that to me, is is going to be a surprise when it comes to where he gets picked. I I I really if I had to you know if I had to do like a full round mock draft and you had to hold me to it and say where do you think Robert Hainsey's going to go? I'd say don't be shocked if he goes in round 3. I, I really believe that. I, I and I especially think if we see an early run on Lyman, it's going to bump him up because again, to me of of him and Eichenberg to me are the two most plug-and-play guys that Notre Dame has in this offensive draft class. You look at Hainsey and, and Eichenberg are there, and then tr- to compare them like Tremble and Banks, those are guys that are going to need work, need need just the consistency's not there. These two guys, Hainsey and, and Eichenberg, are very, very steady, consistent players. Maybe they're not you know, 10-time pro bowlers or whatever the case may be, but if you're talking about I need a guy that can come in, start from day one, it's going to be dependable, it's going to show up every day, going to battle – and can can be versatile. I think both of those guys bring that to the table much more so than than some of the other offensive linemen in this draft. We stay on offense here. We'll go down to Ian Book uh, and Tommy Kramer. I, I've seen Tommy Kramer. It's interesting to see a lot of people putting not a lot, but some there weren't a whole lot of seven round mock drafts. So to be in four of the seven round mock drafts means he was in over about half of them that I found, which is, you know, it's pretty good and a little surprising, to be honest with you. I love Tommy Kramer. I think Tommy Kramer is an awesome kid. I just think there's two big concerns with him when it comes to being drafted. Number one is very checkered injury history. And number two, consistency. 
He was just never consistently a, a good player. And, and when I look at like Sam Muster, for example, Sam Mustafer didn't get drafted. Sam Mustafer was a better player in college than Tommy Kramer was. And he was every bit as experienced. And he went undrafted. I know Alex Bars had a major injury, but Alex Bars still went undrafted with his inj- with his one injury, whereas Tommy Kramer hasn't had that one massive injury, but he's just had a lot of consistent little injuries that have just really sapped him of some mobility and sapped him of some of the power that, that he had early in his career. So I was a little surprised to see that many people, but I hope that they're right. I'd love to see Tommy get get drafted i think he's an excellent kid and and he's battled look yeah I'll, I'll save some of that for after the draft i'll have some stories about tommy kramer after the draft but i really hope somebody i hope that these guys right here that that have him going number four uh, or go these four guys that have him going in the in the mock drafts i hope that they're right i'd love to see tommy get picked and then ian books an interesting one so Everybody knows my stance on Ian Book as a player. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's got a better arm than people think, but I just don't think he processes information super effectively. I don't think he's a guy that necessarily goes through reads. He doesn't show great anticipation. He doesn't show great timing with throws. He's he's accurate from the from a, from a basic standpoint, but he's never shown the kind of accuracy to where he's going to throw an outcut low and away, or he's going to you know other than back shoulders, he's just never shown great ball placement beyond just you know trying to hit guys right in their sweet spot because that's not always where the best throws are but he's also a leader he's experienced he's played in a lot of big games he's shown great poise in fourth quarter situations I mean not just Clemson this year but you go back to his first year as a starter uh, you look at the Pitt game he was terrible for the first two and a half quarters against Pitt and a lot of quarterbacks would kind of go in the hole mentally go in a hole when they play that poor. I mean, he threw two red zone interceptions in that pit game and, and Notre Dame's losing in the fourth quarter. And then he completes like, well, something like it was absurd. Something like 12 of his final 13 passes or nine of his final 10 passes, something like that. Bangs a post route to win the game. Uh, you know, you look at 2019, same thing, Virginia tech, two red zone interceptions, uh, terrible, terrible performance for the first three and a half quarters. But then when the game is on the line in the fourth quarter, he's calm, he's poised. He's getting the ball where it needs to go. He's hitting fourth down completions. He's finding open receivers. And then, of course, he runs it in for the game-winning touchdown. Uh, you know, we saw it against Clemson this year. We've really seen that his whole career where he would he would kind of get panicked when he'd get pressure in normal situations, and the game would just speed up too much for him. And I think that hurt his timing. But in the fourth quarter, when the game was on the line, it's kind of like he finally slowed down. And they as they pushed the tempo, he would slow down. And he played really well. So I think there's there's teams are going to like that. They're going to look at that and say, for a backup quarterback, I want a guy that's been in a lot of big moments. I want a guy that showed poise in those big moments. And I want a guy that can kind of come in in a pinch off the bench and rally a team. And look, there's he's got that on his film. It, it, go back to the LSU game in 2017 when he came off the bench against a really good defense and, and led Notre Dame to a comeback victory. So to me, there's a lot to like about Ian Book. There's also a lot that is going to make you say, like, this guy is never going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And if you want to draft a, a backup quarterback that maybe could start for you someday, he's not your guy. So I think sixth, seventh round is is to undrafted is where you're going to see. And if you look at if you look up here with uh, some of these seven round mock drafts, like with Hainsey, and then you look at uh, Banks, there's obviously a lot of drafts that not a lot, but there's several drafts that that have Ian book going undrafted. I think that's his range from a talent standpoint. So maybe six or seven to undrafted is, is where he is. Having said that the NFL has lost their minds 
when it comes to drafting quarterbacks. Absolutely have lost their minds. And we're seeing so many quarterbacks get taken now in the top 10 that have no business being top 10 quarterbacks because teams are just overvaluing quarterbacks. There's never, there's not a lot of depth at quarterback anymore as far as elite top-level players. The fact that Mac Jones could go third tonight says everything you need to know about how the NFL has lost their minds. The fact that Zach Wilson's going to be the number two overall pick tells you the NFL's lost their minds. I was on Sportsbeat the other night, the local radio station. I co-hosted that the other night. And as we were talking about the draft, I did some research. From 2010 to 2018, if you look at those drafts, there were 17 quarterbacks. Now, this is the beginning of the Brian Kelly. So these are guys that are not like too old. I mean, this is Cam Newton and beyond. And uh, 2011, excuse me. And there were 17 quarterbacks taken in the top 10. Of those 17, three are still with the team that drafted them. Those three were from the two most recent drafts in that stretch, and that is Baker Mayfield. Uh, uh, see, yes, Baker Mayfield. It was Josh Allen, and then one other quarterback. I'm, uh, gosh, I can't remember who it was. There's one other quarterback, I think, the year that Baker Mayfield was picked uh, that that is still with his team. I'm going to look that up now. But it's just one of those things where they're missing constantly. And Jared Goff was the number one pick of quarterback in 2016, the number one pick in the draft. And he led his team to a Super Bowl, and he still is not with that team. They still got rid of him. Uh, when you look at top 10 quarterbacks, so it's um, it's Pat Mahomes. So if you look, and it ends at 2018, so like I don't count Kyler Murray and, and Daniel Jones and Tua because they've only been in the league for two years. But if you look at two, so it's it's uh, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen from 2018. So there are four four quarterbacks taken in the top 10 in 2018. That was three, they, those guys only played three years in the NFL, right? Four taken in the top 10. Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen are still with their team. Sam Darnold has been traded and Josh Rosen is basically out of the NFL already. 2017, Mitch Trubisky goes ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Deshaun Watson doesn't even get drafted in the top 10. If Deshaun Watson came out right now, he'd be the number two pick. But this, is again, was still in losing their mind mode. They drafted Mitch Trubisky number two, and he's obviously not on uh, that team anymore. So Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen are the three that are still with the teams that drafted them. That is that is poor, poor drafting. And I think when you look at and how teams are looking at it now, if if there's a run in the top 10 on quarterbacks and all five of those guys go in the top 10, which is certainly possible, I saw somebody, and I'm trying to remember who it was, somebody had Davis Mills being drafted in the first round with a 30-second pick. I almost lost it. And look, Davis Mills, talent-wise, has starting talent in the NFL. This guy's never played a full season in college football. I think he started like 11 games his entire career because of injury. And his numbers, I think he's got like 18 career touchdowns, something like that. And people talk about him being a first-round pick. Ten years ago, that guy's not sniffing the first round. But now it's just, it's you know, 15, 20 years ago, Mac Jones is a second, third-round pick. That's just, it's just, but the, the NFL's just lost their minds when it comes to evaluating and drafting quarterbacks. And so what could happen is if you see that run in the top 10, and now I'm hearing thing. I'm reading, not hearing, like I'm not talking to sources. I'm reading all these draft analysts, and they're talking about how now Kyle Trask and Davis Mills and Kellen Mond could be second-round picks. First of all, I'm not taking Kellen Mond over Ian Book. Not even going to think twice about it. I'm sorry, Kellen Mond is the most overrated quarterback in this draft, in my opinion. But I, I'd take Ian Book over him. But Kyle Trask, I get as far as being ahead of Ian Book. I get Davis Mills being ahead of Ian Book. But if those guys get overdrafted and they go second, third round, 
I just I think that could boost Ian Book up. Would it shock me if Ian Book ends up going in the fourth round because there's this huge early run on quarterbacks? It wouldn't shock me. I think it would be unwise, but it wouldn't shock me. So that could help is so if you're if you're an Ian Book fan and you're hoping he gets drafted tonight or I mean this weekend, then you better hope that in round two and three that Kyle Trask, Kellen Mon, and uh, Davis Mills all get picked because the NFL draft went to seven rounds. It used to be nine and it was 12 and it was a whole lot more than that. In 1994 is when they went to seven rounds. Since that time, there have only been three years. This is a span of 28 drafts. There's only been three years where they took nine or fewer quarterbacks and only two years they took less than nine. Most people have Ian Book as the ninth quarterback in the draft. Some have him eighth, some have him 10th, but most have him around that nine spot. So based on history, if he is in fact the ninth quarterback taken, then he could he could see himself get picked late. So you better hope that that run, because what could also happen, the flip side is, teams say, yeah, we're not reaching for a quarterback in rounds two and three. So then Mills falls, you see Trask fall, you see Kellen Mond fall. That could end up pushing Ian Book out, assuming most people think Kellen Mond's better than Ian Book, which I do not. But uh, that that could be. And then, as Thomas Walsh asks, do you think it will be an advantage for Book to not be drafted? It, it depends. So, Thomas, for me, it depends on who drafts him. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times in the sixth or seventh round, teams will draft a guy that maybe say, hey, look, we like this guy. We want to give him a shot to be kind of a you know a camp arm to, to come in. And, and and maybe he battles for the number three spot. And if, if we don't like him, it's a seventh round pick. Who cares? Then other times teams look for, hey, look, we really like this guy. And 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 we know that that he's looking at other teams and he's looking at, you know, sign, you know, he likes to see what maybe wants to sign with this team or that team. And maybe he wants to go back close to home and, and be a backup to Matt Stafford or or uh, or, or you know, whoever the first round pick for the Niners is because he's from Northern California or he wants to go sign with the Chargers and back up Justin Herbert or something like that, right? They could they could say that or Let's just say Ian Book is kind of you. You you hear these things if you're NFL circles. Is you know he he if he doesn't get drafted, he's going to sign with so and so. You may say, but we really like him, so we're going to pick him because we really like him. If it's a situation like that, Thomas, where it's a team that really likes Ian and they view him as their backup quarterback of the future, then yeah, I think he could get picked in, in the sixth or seventh round, and I think it would be good for him. If it's just a team that kind of views him as a camp arm, then it's better for him to not get drafted, and it's better for him to be able to pick and choose. Uh, where he's going to go, and so I think that um, I think that's where where it just it's hard to say yes or no because I don't know who's going to pick him. I've always felt, especially for a quarterback, it's better to be undrafted than it is to go in, in round seven, and it's really even six and seven because, like like you're referring to here, the reason you ask that question is because then he can pick the team he goes for. And his agent will have a good read of which teams are the most, you know, who, who's called Brian Kelly the most, who's who's done the most research on him, who's done the most, you know, talking to his agent and talking to the family, doing those type of things where they really like him and and, and see him in that regards. So that's that's kind of where I see. Now let's get back to the defense here as we start to wrap this up. There's two defensive ends that for Notre Dame that have it that as as you look here in this mock draft. These guys are are really within a very narrow range. Now, I've seen a couple mock drafts that didn't have Adio Gandiji in them. I think those are probably just people who didn't watch him play. I, I'd be shocked if he's not going in, in the fourth round. There's been some people talking about how he – there was mock drafts very early in the process 
after the senior bowl that had him going around two. I, I, I think I don't think his pro day helped him a ton. I don't think it hurt him, but I don't think it helped him. I don't think there was that big jump where he ran. He didn't he ran an okay 40 time. Uh, he, he did good movement numbers, but not great movement numbers. So there's been nothing from him this offseason that should say, hey, boy, he's got to really, really skyrocket up, and he's going to be a guy that 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 people look at and say, hey, we, we got to really take this guy. And there's a lot of there's a lot of edge players in this draft. So um, I think that's a situation with, with him where I just don't think the pro day helped him really jump his stock. I'm looking at his his uh, pro day numbers now. For example, he ran a he ran a um, let me see his 40 time here. He ran a 471, which is good. You know, it's good for a 269 pound guy. It's not bad at all. It's pretty good. His length is amazing. His wingspan is elite. His bench press was 22. 22 reps for a guy with 35 and a half inch arms is really, really good. But his agility numbers weren't great. He ran a 465 in the in the shuttle. He ran a 719 in the three cone, which is which is better. But then you see other things like the vertical, which is 36 and a half and a 10 foot broad jump, which are are, are good numbers. So it, like I said, it wasn't a bad situation. It just there was nothing great that just boosted him like we saw from Chase Claypool or Miles Boykin. So I think that fourth, fifth round range is 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 probably his sweet spot based on the things that I read. You start to see people settle in on that. I think with Adi, it's it's partly is going to be there. He's just not a, a well known guy because he was never a big production guy. He was never a guy that had ten plus tackles for loss and and had a bunch of sacks. I mean, he led Notre Dame in sacks this year with seven. But I mean that's not a that's not a huge number. That's not a knock your socks off number. He finished with seven tackles for loss, seven and a half, seven tackles for loss. So he didn't really make a lot of plays in the backfield. But when you look at him, he's a really solid, steady player, and that's what I look for in that round four to five area. Is he's a guy that could start for you. He could be a great, a really great edge defender against the run. He's an improving pass rusher. His pass rush took a jump from late 2019 into 2020 from where it was before. I think teams are going to look and say, this is a silly younger guy. So there's still a lot to work with here. There's still room for improvement in his game. Um, so there, there's a lot of different things that he can do. Uh, real quick, uh, Brady Quinn didn't have 35 and a half inch arms. That's the that's the difference. Uh, so yeah, that 22 is impressive. For a guy that's got 35 and have had 35 and a half inch arms. If you go look at the majority of the guys that put up 30 plus reps in the bench, they're usually shorter armed guy because it's less work, less place to go. It's it's common physics is really what I like to say. So it makes me sound smarter. But back to Ogandiji, I think he's a guy that teams are gonna look at and say, this is a solid steady player that brings value as a pass rusher and a run defender, some level of value. If you see him as I see him as a guy that has pass more pass rushing potential then you're going to value him higher as opposed to someone who just looks at him as a run defender. Just being tagged as a run defender in today's NFL is, is going to hurt you because there's just not a lot of teams that, that value running the ball the way that they used to. So I think he needed he needed to have a good sack year, and I think he had a good sack year, and he had some clutch sacks. So did Dalen Hayes. Dalen Hayes didn't put up a lot of sacks, but he had clutch sacks, not just Clemson, but he had him against Georgia Tech. He had some good pass rush moments in the senior bowl, which I think helped him. For me, with Dalen Hayes, it's going to all be about the medicals. I think if Dalen Hayes checks out when it comes to the, the medical testing, I think he'll be a fourth or fourth round pick. I, I really think that's where he's going to go because his testing number, he ran a little bit of a better 40 time than uh, uh, Ogandiji, 
but he ran a really good shuttle. He ran a four two five shuttle, which is which is pretty good for that guy. His movement skills, his his coverage ability, his versatility are all things that people are going to really value. But it's just about do you view him as a does he medically check out, and then b um, is he a guy that uh, a, a guy that you think can take that next step as a pass rusher? I think if you if those two things are what you see, then you're going to feel really comfortable taking him in the fourth round. If not, then you could see him slide. Because, look, anytime you get past the second round, it's a crapshoot in regards to projecting people. Not crapshoot from a drafting standpoint. I think those guys put a lot of work in. They they I don't think the draft is the crapshoot that people think it is. Uh, I think there's a lot of process and, and work that goes into it. And that's why some teams are consistently good at it and some teams aren't, right? But what I what I do think is crapshoot is pre- predicting it. What's going to happen? Because we don't really know how teams view things. We don't know what kind of runs are going to happen. Is there an early run on edge players that bumps guys up? Do the edge players fall? Which bumps guys down? All those types of things happen. And that's what makes predicting it a bit of a crapshoot. But I'd be surprised if these two guys were not drafted at some point. Now, could they fall a little below the fourth, fifth round where they're projected? Yeah, I could see that. But I do think they'll both get drafted. Let's wrap up with a couple guys that um, could be surprises to get picked in the draft, and that is number one, Nick McLeod, who you see had two people mock mock draft had him going in in this sixth seventh round. I also saw one Pro Football Focus had Kevin Stefferson going in the fifth round. That just tells me that that team just does not give a rip about character at all. But anyway, Nick McLeod's a guy that I think will check out well from a character standpoint. You know, he had good film. He was a good football player at NC State. He was a good football player at Notre Dame. He wasn't a great player. He was a good, solid football player. That 4-3-7 I, I, I hasn't generated the buzz that I thought it would have generated from people talking about it. And I think part of that is the fact that we just didn't get to see it because Notre Dame didn't cover it, or NBC Sports didn't cover it and didn't show any of his drills or anything like that. So I think it hurt. It, it was a chance for us as tra- – I'm team saw it. They got film of it and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about draft analysts. We didn't get to see that stuff, so I think that's hindered his buzz. But with that 4-3-7, and it wasn't just the 4-3-7, Nick McLeod had other really good numbers. He ran a 4-1-6 in the shuttle, which is good. It's .01 worse than Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, which is which was pretty good, which is elite for a linebacker. That's good for a corner. He ran a 6-8-5 in the three-cone, which is pretty, pretty solid for a corner, especially a taller corner. Uh, he had a 34-inch vertical, which is solid. You know, I, 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 there's things to like about Nick McLeod. I could see him being a guy that teams look at late. And then the other guy for me is Brock Wright. I think Brock Wright, it would not shock me if Brock Wright gets drafted tonight. I think if you're him, you probably hope you don't get drafted because you could pick where you want to go, but it would not shock me if he gets drafted. I think there's a couple things working in his favor. Number one, his testing numbers were outstanding. If you look at his his pro day, he was one of the guys that, to me, helped himself the most. He ran a 4-6 flat. 40-yard dash, which for a guy that's 257 pounds is moving. He had 26 reps on the bench press, uh, and he and he, uh, he did a 4-2-5 in the shuttle, which is pretty good for a 257-pound tight end. So I, I thought his movement was good. I thought he looked good in drills. I thought that he caught the ball well during that period of time. Um <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's not nice. That's not nice at all, <laughs> but also very true. 
but when you back to back to Brock Wright, so I think those things helped him out. And then they're going to say, well, this guy was a highly ranked recruit because they do that bio stuff. They do look to see that he was he was ranked that high, and say, well, what happened? Well, here's what happened. As a freshman, he was backing up Durham Smythe, who was a fourth round draft pick. As a sophomore, he was backing up Alize Mack, who was a seventh round pick, but would have been higher had he not had some issues. Uh, character issues that caused him to fall, but still a seventh-round pick. And then ahead of him in the depth chart that year was also Cole Komet. 2019, he's behind Cole Komet, who was a second-round draft pick and the number one tight end drafted. Then in 2020, he was behind Tommy Trumbull, who was about to be a potentially a second, third, or fourth-round pick, and behind Michael Mayer, who in two years is going to be a first-round draft pick, barring injury. So they're going to look at that and say, you know, this guy's a good, this guy's a good football player. He just happened to be at a position that was deeper than any in the country when it comes to the tight end position you know, you say okay well let's ask this question all right if if brock wright went to bc would he have been would he have maybe played over 100 long uh if brock wright would have played at at uh you know penn state would would he, how much you know how would have the battle have been between him and pat fryermuth if, if he was a duke you know how would the battle between him and noah gray would have looked like could he compete with those guys <clears throat> and i think the answer is yeah i think he can because you look at the athleticism checked out. He came with a high pedigree. He came from played big time football in Texas. He's been he he finally developed a good blocker. I, I didn't think I didn't think he was a great blocker as a salt junior. I thought he's a little inconsistent. But as a senior, he got a lot better as a blocker. And whenever given the opportunity in the pass game, he made he caught balls. I mean, he he can work the zones, he can work the middle of the field, he can work the short areas, he can be a chain mover. He can be a really good number two, number three tight end in the NFL. So I could see Brock Wright getting picked. I'm not predicting it because I'm I'm not a you know I I'm, I haven't studied it like a lot of these draft analysts who don't have them. But if if we get to the end of day three and Brock Wright has his name called, I won't be shocked at all. But if he doesn't get his name called, I, I'll be shocked even more shocked if he doesn't make an NFL roster in his as a rookie. I think he has that kind of talent. So that's kind of where Notre Dame's draft class is. I don't see guys like Sean Crawford getting picked because I just think the medicals aren't going to check out. I haven't heard any buzz about Javon McKinley getting picked, and he did not help himself at all at his pro day. Uh, he ran a four-five-seven, which is not good. He only had a thirty-two and a half inch vertical. His twenty-yard shuttle was four-three-six. His three cone was good, six-eight-zero, but uh, you know he he and he dropped a couple balls that he just shouldn't have dropped. So I didn't think Javon helped himself. Ben Skronik medically is not to me is not going to get drafted just because of the the injury. Combined with the fact that he, he's not a great athlete, he doesn't get separation. I've seen mock drafts up until recently that had him getting picked. I, I just I never got that. Uh, why you'd have him going over Javon McKinley when clearly Javon McKinley was the better player. But, of course, with McKinley, too, there's injury ha- passed. There's some off-the-field stuff. But I think that would end up checking out. If teams really did some digging in Javon McKinley, they would realize that, that incident in which he got in trouble a couple years ago was – was an outlier. That's not normally who he is. He, it, to me, it's just, that was a bad day for him and, and a, a mistake, but a bad day. And I don't, I think most NFL teams say guy had one bad day. He's a very good student, never gotten any other trouble, you know, good kid, quiet and all that type of stuff. I think the, the, the background's going to check out for Javon McKinley. It's just, he needed to, he needed to test better. And, and I thought he was going to test better, but he didn't, he looked tight. He looked. Um, he didn't look ex- as explosive, even as we saw in film. That was a disappointing performance. But you know, maybe he slides into the end of the draft and and has a shot to to get picked. So that's going to be it for breaking down um, Searcher Green. 
I could see Brock Wright being like Fasano and hanging around the NFL for a decade. Yeah, abs- I agree. I think he absolutely could could for sure. Because again, another high character guy, and and that's kind of guy. If you're going to be a backup in the NFL, you better be high character because they're not going to they're not going to be put up. They're not going to put up with that kind of stuff. Um. So that's going to be it for the NFL draft coverage for Notre Dame for today's show. Uh, as far as breaking down players, there's a couple questions we'll get into that I'll try to answer here. Uh, Tommy Leonard, in your opinion, who will these be? Uh, one Notre Dame, one non-Notre Dame, a hidden gem, a steal, biggest slider, and the biggest reach. Let's go with Notre Dame first. Hidden gem, I'm going to go with the guy that maybe isn't a high pick, not a first, second round pick, that's going to end up being a really good player in the NFL. For me, that's Robert Hainsey. I kind of alluded to that earlier. I think Robert Hainsey is going to be a 10-year starter in the NFL, barring injury. Uh, and you could even call him a bit of a steal. I think the steal, the steal could be, I mean, this is an interesting one because it part of it depends on on how guys slide. If if Elian Meikenberg slides in the second round, for example, and you get him in the second round, that's a steal. So it just depends on on where he goes. I could see, you know, looking at the draft, I think Aaron Banks can end up being a steal. If he slides into round three or four, I think he could be a steal because he does have the talent to be a higher pick. He just doesn't have the consistency. So I could see that. Biggest slider for Notre Dame, I think it's to be one of the med- a medical issue. I think it could be like a Dalen Hayes maybe if his medicals didn't check out. I don't know if they did or didn't. I could see a guy like uh, Aaron Banks sliding because of that inconsistency. And if the tight end, if the tight ends don't go high, if like they kind of fall, if a lot of the tight ends fall, I could see Tommy Tremble uh, being a bit of a slider too. But uh, I don't see anyone just kind of, hey, I think Hainsey's going to go round three and he goes undrafted. I don't see anything like that happening. The biggest reach for me, I don't know if if there's any Notre Dame guys that I would consider reaches based on where they're projected right now. Now, a guy could get drafted a lot higher than we think, and that would be something. You know, some team goes up in round one and decides to take you know, Dalen Hayes or something like that. I'd say that's probably a reach based on just his lack of production to, to a first round level. But again, I think based on where guys are projected, I don't see anybody that would be a reach in any of those places. And some of the guys you could say, well, Tommy Trumbull or Aaron Banks gets drafted. Let's say a team drafts Aaron Banks 35th. Would that be a reach? That's a reach from the standpoint of his production didn't always show that, but again, his talent showed that. So I wouldn't necessarily consider that. I'd say maybe it's a bit of a gamble. But I wouldn't call it a reach because I could end up it could end up panning out for him as well. So that's um, and that's kind of where I where I'd have that one. So it looks like Omar Awesome would also like to see Tommy Tremble blocking for uh, the Titans. See so if any other questions. We talked about um, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa to the Browns. Uh, yes, it is. I love draft day. And, and with Vince and I talk about this. I like the movie draft day better than most people did. I just, I love the draft. I, lo- I That's the one thing I'd, I felt if I didn't do this, the one thing I would like to do is I'd like to get into to, to that. I'd like to get into be like an NFL scout or like get into the front office somewhere. I mean, that would be a fun job to have uh, because I, I've always been that way. You know, when, when I used to play NCAA back in the day, I would, I would re- do more recruiting and building your team than I would actually play in games. And, my wife bought me an NFL game one time called NFL General Manager. I rarely played the actual games. I would just do all the, the back office stuff. I've always enjoyed that stuff. Um, so David Knight says, these drafts are always so unpredictable, even with a ton of logic and rationale implied. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Bobby McCarthy, you never, yeah, you never goes as planned. And for the teams, it would change constantly, you'd think. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, you just never know how it's going to go. And that's, again, that's part of the, 
the thing that I find fun about it uh, is just that you just never know what's going to happen. Tommy Leonard asks, are you going to set up if you're on during the draft to where you can split screen yourself in the draft? I only have one device to watch or both or one. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do a live draft uh, thing tonight. I mentioned it in the show and I said, if anybody's interested, reach out to me. Not a single person reached out to me, so uh, I will not be doing it, uh, but I'll be watching it and I'll probably be on Twitter giving my comments and stuff like that, but um, I won't. I won't be doing a live draft. If if a guy gets picked tonight, I'll probably come on and talk about that afterwards, but I won't be doing a, a live draft. I'll probably wait till the next day because I'm gonna want to see what happens next. I won't I don't want to be on on YouTube doing a video when when the rest of the draft's going on. I just I, I enjoy it too much. It's it's just a lot of fun. Compat, this is an interesting question. Do you think undrafted guys should be allowed to return to college? So Connor, this the, the reason this is an interesting question is because it's so many times when people look at these things like the transfer rule, guys should be allowed to transfer whenever they want. The problem that I have with that is yes, it's simply, we want to do what's right for the kids, but we, we, we sometimes have too narrow of a focus of who we're doing right by. So the, the transfer rule, for example, say, well, yeah, kids should have the freedom to transfer. Well, but what about the kids that work their butts off for three, four years to finally get their opportunity? And then, you go out and get some transfer and that kid's gone, you know? So, so, you know, what about the players on a team who, who were counting on a guy to be part of what they're doing and then he transfers and leaves them all behind. So usually more people get hurt than helped by those types of things. If we're being honest about it. And I think the NFL draft is similar in that, you, you know, let's, let's take Notre Dame for example, right? So let's just say, let's look at a guy like, um, Let's look at a guy. I'm trying to think of some guys that had eligibility remaining. Okay, so let's let's look at um, let's look at wide receiver. Just hypothetically, use Javon McKinley. You know, technically, he has an extra year of eligibility because of the COVID year, so he could choose to come back. So he goes and he doesn't get drafted. So he calls up Notre Dame and says, "Hey, I want to come back." So they went through 15 practices this spring. All the receivers out there busting their tails, putting in the work in the weight room, in the classroom, on the practice field, in in the individual work organizing workouts on their own, going through all those different things. And then bam, Javon McKinley comes back. And, and he's now most teams are going to put him right in, back in the starting lineup. That's how it's what, that's what a lot of that negotiation would be. And they can say, Oh, well you got to earn it back. But I mean, so, so what does that, what does that do for the rest of your team? Right? So you put in all this work and now all of a sudden, you, you know, you're getting moved. Aaron Banks slides to the, you know, falls out of the draft or doesn't like where he's picked. And, you know, you got kind of like the old, uh, it was the old NBA rule, right? If you didn't like, or no major league baseball, if you don't like where you're picked, you can go back to college. And and so then you put in all this work, and Blake Fisher earns the starting left tackle job, or Tosh Baker earns the starting left tackle job, and then Aaron Banks doesn't like where he gets picked. So even though he missed the whole spring, he comes back. I just don't like that. I think that I think that what I would like to do is I would like it to be a situation where you know maybe you you have it to where after the after the combine. Sometime like, you know, maybe March 1st, maybe move the combine up to, you know, middle of February or something like that. Move it up a week or two. Say after February, after March 1st or you know, as by March 1st, you can, you can come back. So let's say a kid comes out that's got eligibility. Aaron Banks comes out and he doesn't have a great performance of the combine or he's maybe he's injured. He hurts his hamstring and he can't work out and it's going to hurt his draft stock. And he says, Hey, you know what? I, I want to go back. And they can do that, but then now he's back on campus. He's with the team. He's going through workouts. He's 
you know, if he's healthy, he's able to go through practice. And now I feel like you're, you're, you're going to be more accepting of that as a team and it would make more sense. But if you wait till after the draft, to allow these guys to come back, then those guys have missed the whole spring. And I think for football, that's going to hurt you a lot more than in basketball, where if your guard decides to come back over the summer, you just plug them back into the starting lineup. And it's just, it's a little different situation. So I wouldn't mind seeing a scenario in which guys could come back to college, but I would not like it if it extended all the way past the draft. And I don't think you can move the draft up because there's just not enough time for guys to, you know, get in the work to, you know, the, the pro days and the combines and all that other kind of stuff. But I, I, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if the draft got moved up to March. I wouldn't be against that. And then you could allow guys to come back, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. Okay. And, and as far as they sign with agents, I think that is going to become mostly irrelevant at some point in time. I mean, the NBA, I mean, college basketball, actually you can, I believe in college basketball, you can actually still sign with an agent and still come back to college. Now I think they've loosened the rules to that degree. So I don't think that is really, uh, it, it, at least it, it wouldn't be a hindrance to me if you're going to allow guys to come back after the draft, then yes, they're all going to have agents. So you would, you would make the rules to where it's fine. Let them come back to, let them come back to college. I think that's one of those things where the NCAA has been unnecessarily just strict and stupid on that. And they've created these backroom dealings that hurt kids, make it up, make the process open, let kids hire agents. Look, if you, if you want to have, if you're the, if you're a five-star player and some agents willing to invest in you, and, and sign with him, and he's going to help you deal with your name, image, and likeness, and he's going to help you do this, that, and the other. As long as agents aren't interfering with what's going on with the team, you know, hey, tell them kids to sit out, like that would kind of tick me off. But as far as like being able to protect kids and make sure kids are, you know, financially and with the NFL doing those types of things, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think the NCAA needs to get over themselves when it comes to those kind of things. Now, I, you know, you, you have to be careful because you can get into some cheating and those types of things. But for the most part, I, I think their agent rules are are, are kind of silly uh, when it comes to college football. I, I would like to see them get rid of those. Um, two years ago, who would have thought Adi would have been projected higher than Dalen? Yeah, that's a fair point. But um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, I didn't do non-Notre Dame players. Yeah, it's a little bit different. One. So let me look. Let me go back to Tommy's question. Hidden gem. Okay, so I'm going to do a couple of these others. The biggest steal to me, um, boy, this is a this is a good one. So I'm going to have to I'm going to have to pull up some of these uh, these rankings to just kind of look at some of these guys that, that I like. Um, so just give me a second here, Tommy, to to pull these up because I'm going to need to kind of jog my memory a little bit. The, I'll, be, I'll say this about the draft in general. I think there's going to be a lot of reaches in this draft. And, and here's what I feel about this draft. This is this is not a real top-heavy draft. I feel like this draft, there's guys that you're going to get at 6, 7, 8, 9 that are as good as guys that you're going to get at 18, 19, 20, and late, lower. I think this is a pretty deep draft, but it's it's not a top-heavy draft. There's like you know, the offensive tackles. There's not, including Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater, with all due respect, those guys to me aren't in the same league as like Tristan Wirfs and, and – uh, Cedric Wills and guys like that from last year. I've seen a lot of people talk about how this receiver class is better than last year's receivers class. No way. No, not in my opinion. Other than Jamar Chase, he's the only, to me, pure, definite top 10 receiver in this draft class. Um, so I just, I feel it's, you're going to get really good value in rounds two and three for players that a lot of people maybe don't project as, as great players. But 
you know, when I, when I look at it, I just think that there's, there's going to be a lot of those steals. There's going to be a lot of those, those guys that, that you look at and say, boy, this, this guy was a, a great pick. Now I do think there's going to be a lot of reaches. I think all the quarterbacks are going to be reaches except for Trevor Lawrence. I think that, you know, if it, Mac Jones, the fact that Mac Jones is going to go third, if I'm a 49er fan and Mac Jones gets picked third, I'm, I'd be pretty fired up about that. I would not be very happy about that at all. I think some team is going to get if if Justin Fields has the slide that some people are talking about. I think Justin Fields is going to end up being a big steal. I think Justin Fields has a tremendous upside. Same with Trey Lance. I think those guys both have great upside, and if they can go somewhere, like if either one of those guys can go to Atlanta, it'd be perfect for them because they're going to sit behind Matt Ryan for a year or two, learn, um, you know, really get better, improve their game. I think those guys are going to be. Those guys are going to be really good. If J.C. Horn falls in the draft, like some are predicting a 16-17, I think he's going to be a bit of a steal. Uh, not a huge one because he's still a first-round pick. I think Micah Parsons is a guy that is, is would concern me. Micah Parsons is a top-10 talent athletically, but there's a lot of other questions and concerns about uh, about him. Taven Jenkins from Oklahoma State is not a guy that I'm super impressed with. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be – a, a big reach. I just don't view him as a first round pick in, in my opinion. I, so I just, I just, I just don't see that one. I think that a guy that I like in the second round that could end up being a, a steal is Javon Holland safety from Morgan could play some corner. He's a guy that I really like. I'm looking at a pro football focus mock draft here, seven round mock draft. They have Kellen Mond going 54th to the Indianapolis Colts. That is insane to me, just absolutely insane. And I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot of respect for pro football focus anymore. They, they don't, t- they tend not to grade out super high in their mock drafts because of how they evaluate players. But that's just nuts to me. I just, I look at that and I say, man, that that's just, that's nuts to me. I don't see how you can project him. I see Trey Smith, Carolina Panthers in the third round. I think he could be a, a, a gem in the third, fourth round if somebody if he falls that far, just on his God given ability. I think he's a guy that could could be a big could be a big steal. They have Travis Etienne going in the third round in his pro football focus mock draft, just ahead of Nico Collins. I don't see how you can look at those two players and compare them and say that they're in the same universe as, as football players. Uh, remember Pete Werner? He played Ohio State, committed to Notre Dame. I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good NFL player. I think he projects well in the NFL because he's a really athletic kid. He can cover pretty well. Uh, he's a guy that I could see. I could see having a, a bit of a jump I'm trying to look and see if there's any other guys that, that are projected to go lower that could be could be steals in the nfl draft yeah this is the one that had the niners taking kevin stefferson in the fifth round i thought that was hilarious all right let me see if there's any other picks here um oh here's one they have t- uh the hafanga kid from usc going in the fifth round he could be a steal for me because I view him a lot like I view Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. I think he could be a very similar player to Jeremiah Wusukoromoa in that how he plays, uh, how he fits. He's not a he's not a linebacker. He's not a safety. He's just a hybrid guy that that makes a lot of plays. I don't think he's the dynamic athlete that Jeremiah Wusu is, and he's not as big as Jeremiah Wusu. So I think that's why he's falling. But he's a guy that if you get him in, in rounds four, five, or six, to me, he would be a guy that would be a bit of a, a bit of a steal, uh, hidden gem, so to speak, for me. Um, John says, what's your take on Eichenberg in comparison to other first round projected linemen? Uh, would you take him over Slater and Darisol? Um, that's an interesting one. So I personally like Liam Eichenberg better than Rashawn Slater. I, I I'm, 
I like Rashawn Slater. I think he's being overhyped. I've never seen it. Now, having said that, and just that comes with not having watched him nearly as much as Liam Eikenberg. And I think that Rashawn Slater is being hyped up because of what he did against Chase Young. He had a great game against Chase Young, and I get that. But I just I don't see a guy that's the top ten pick. When I look at Rashawn Slater and I look at you know Tristan Wirfs and I look at Jedrick Wills and I look at guys that were taken last year, I don't see the same caliber player. I don't I don't even see that with Panay Sewell, especially when you consider he only played his freshman and sophomore year. And if you look at Panay Sewell and you look at his pro football focus grades, I believe his three worst grades were against non conference opponents. And, and I think that tells me something because the Pac twelve just just doesn't produce a lot of great defensive players. So I, I'm not a huge fan of the tackles in this draft class. I think they're lower. I think Liam Eikenberg is a lot closer to those guys than he is to last year's top ten picks. You know, Werfs and Sewell and those uh, Werfs and um, and Wills, for example. He doesn't quite have Andrew Thomas's upside, although he's a was a better college player than Andrew Thomas. So you know, to me, I think if a team took him ahead of Rashawn Slater, the Twitter draft world would go nuts. I wouldn't be as bothered by it. Darisol is an, is a different one because. You guys know my stance. I've talked about it a lot here. I talk about it all the time in recruiting. I'm an upside guy. Give me the guy that's going to be better in three years more, more than the guy that's going to be better today. And I think of the problem that a lot of NFL teams make, and I understand why they make it, is they draft for what's going to help us this season. And they do that because if you draft guys for the future, you may not be around to, to have those guys. Because, you know, I mean, look, Doug Peterson had the won a Super Bowl, what, three years ago, Right. And now he's out of a job. I mean, we see this in the NFL all the time. So I get why teams do that, but I and that's why I don't like the fact that there's so much turnover from a coaching standpoint. You know, it's, guy does well for three, four years, has one bad year, and he's out of there. And that's one of the reasons I don't watch the NFL as much because it's just, it's just a, it just makes the game not as fun in my opinion. But if you're a team that's that's if the way I look at it, because you asked my opinion. Darisol is probably the guy that I look at and say may have the highest ceiling of all the first round offensive tackles. He's got tremendous length. He's athletic. He's just raw and, and he needs he needs some work. So I personally would take Eichenberg over Slater personally. And if you need a guy right now, so if I'm the Colts and we need a left tackle right now and we just got Carson Wentz and we're ready to go win a Super Bowl right now, I'd take Eichenberg over Darisol. If you're if you're a team that's drafting in the top 15 and you're not a very good team, and you're kind of drafting for the future, I'd, I'd take Darisol probably is where I'd go. Now, I'd definitely take, I'd take, definitely take Eichenberg over um, Taven Jenkins. I think he's a better football player. I would definitely take him over Samuel Cosme and Walker Little. I do not get the obsession with either one of those two guys. Now, Cosme's a really athletic player. He's got a lot of bad tape. And, and to me, that matters to me as an offensive lineman, especially in the first round. And it's like what I said about Aaron Banks. It's why I would not take Aaron Banks in the first round. Even though he may have first-round talent, he doesn't produce like a first-rounder on a consistent basis. Eichenberg, for me, he does do that. And that's why I say if I needed a guy that can step in at left or right tackle today, if I'm the Colts, if I'm the Steelers, if I'm a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl this year or next year, I would look. I would look at Eichenberg over those guys, just because I think he's more ready to play. His floor is higher. I don't think his ceiling is as high as either one of those guys. Thomas Walsh. I grew up in the Bay, and I couldn't agree more that I will be pissed if the Niners take Mac Jones, giving up first rounds for Mac Jones. God help us all. See that the Thomas and I even think about that. That's the other part of this whole thing is not only are they going to take him third, which is way too high. They're also they gave up first round picks to take him. At third, at three, with 
Trey Lance and Justin Fields still on the board. That would just be the most arrogant move of all time by Kyle Shanahan. And I like Kyle Shanahan, but that's just one of those. I'm such a smart coach. I am so smart that I can take any quarterback and, and get him ready. And, and we were asked this question on Sportsbeat the other night. And Charlie Weiss said Mac Jones is the most ready, ready made quarterback for the NFL right now, ready to play quarterback in the NFL. And I and I agree with that from the standpoint of mentally, his anticipation is elite. His timing as a player is elite. He's poised and all those things. But he just, to me, doesn't have the physical tools to be a, th- a number three overall pick. Look, the, 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 the notion that you're going to take a guy third because he's the most ready now is the epitome of, of hubris. That you are such a smart coach that you can just plug this smart quarterback in and, and, and we're going to go win with him. And, and to me, it's like, no. You take a quarterback third because he can elevate your franchise. Now, maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's not the year after, but he'll elevate your franchise. And, and that's what I look for. I mean, you look at a guy like Pat Mahomes. What did Pat Mahomes do as a rookie? I mean, he didn't, he didn't do a whole lot as a rookie, right? I, I mean, I, I don't – didn't they still have Alex Smith, right? I don't think Pat Mahomes – I'm going to look it up now, but I, I don't think Pat Mahomes started right away his first year in the NFL. Look, Yeah, his first year in the NFL played one game. One game. Year two, he goes out and wins the MVP, those 50 touchdowns. But that development year was good for Pat Mahomes. And I think these teams are, you know, they, they draft these quarterbacks and they rush them into the starting lineup. And, you know, Broncos fans are already giving up on Drew Locke. I hope that they do not give up on Drew Locke. If the Broncos take a quarterback at nine, I'll be ticked. You know, you get Teddy Bridgewater to compete, but he can be your backup, you know, but give these guys time to develop because, I mean, the, the way it is now, like teams would have wrote off John Elway after a couple of years. They would have wrote off Peyton Manning after throwing 28 picks. It's just insane. You're going to give up Sam Darnold and then draft Zach Wilson? I just don't get it. But the Mac Jones ones, to me, at least with at least with Zach Wilson, you've got a big arm and he's athletic and, and all this kind of stuff. With Mac Wilson, this is like or Mac Jones. I just that one just that one just that would that would frustrate me to no end if I was a Niners fan and I took him third. Now, if you take him with the third round pick, the third pick of the second round. Go for it. Um, so here's one, Spartan B, 88. Brian Kelly saying Eichenberg can't play left tackle in the NFL has directly pushed him down draft board since that point. I'm, I'm going to say two things to this. Number one, he didn't say he can't play left tackle. He said he thinks he's better at right tackle. It doesn't make the comment any better. I just want to be clear about what he said. I think it was a, a foolish comment. I think it was an unnecessary comment, and it was a confusing comment from the guy who does nothing but hype up Liam, Liam, Liam Book. It, it made no sense to me. It's like like you said, Spartan. It, 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 he said, followed up with this. Even if it's true, you don't say that about your guys. I agree with that completely. And there's merit to saying that privately to teams. If if you genuinely don't think that, you have to be honest with teams because otherwise they stop asking your opinion. But honestly, I don't think Brian Kelly's – I don't mean this in any disrespect. It's going to sound that way. I really don't. I don't think Brian Kelly's a guy that the NFL teams are necessarily going to be making their decisions based off of. I don't. I think that they're going to care more about what Harry Heastan says about Liam Eikenberg. They're going to care more about what the film says. They're going to care more about what opposing coaches say. The fact that Liam Eikenberg was voted as the best blocker in the ACC, that award was voted on by head coaches and defensive coordinators in the ACC. Christian Darisol didn't win that award. Jackson Carmen didn't win that award. Liam Meikenberg won that award because other teams saw what he could do and they voted him as the best guy. And that stuff's going to matter more than something Brian Kelly 
foolishly said during a, during the thing. I agree, Spart. It, it ticked me off, and I thought it was disrespectful to his player. Um, did some digging on that, and and yeah, it definitely ru- it, it definitely ruffled some feathers and rubbed people the wrong way. But to a degree, there was also like a yeah, that's just Coach Kelly being Coach Kelly kind of thing, which is kind of it's not really the reputation that you want to have. But I, the second part of it is I don't think it's hurt his draft him and draft boards because. At the time, Liam wasn't getting a lot of first-round love. He's gotten more first-round love in the last couple weeks than he was then. And now, what you are seeing is teams are talking about you know he's maybe a right tackle instead of a, you know maybe a guard. Uh, so I think analysts are saying that, not teams. Analysts are saying that, but I don't think that NFL teams are bothered by that. If the film tells them he can play left tackle, they're not going to care what Brian Kelly says. They have. 30-plus straight games of Liam Eikenberg being a really good left tackle uh, that, that's going to weigh more on them than what whatever Brian Kelly said. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, Thomas, let's wrap it up with this. You Can you imagine if recruits here, Kelly, talking about his own players would make prospects really question coming to Notre Dame? I don't think – I think you guys are more upset about it than, than maybe prospects would be, but it, it could hurt. I mean – Look, it could hurt, especially since Notre Dame is kind of struggling to put this offensive line class together. I don't think that helps much, but you know that's just that's just who Coach Kelly is. Uh, B. Straw, did you see the Niners offer Jimmy G, the number three pick, and other picks for, to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers? I know Aaron Rodgers just won MVP, but he's thirty-seven. Could be a good way for the Packers to rebuild quickly. Yeah, if I'm the Packers, I would do that. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know if that happened. I did not see that, but I'm just going to take your word for it. If I'm the Packers, I would I would do that. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is is gonna win a Super Bowl with the Packers. I think that he's making too much money and there's too many holes to fill. I think they're gonna be a good team, a playoff team. I think the problem with your the Packers is is you're never gonna be able to get over that hump because a you're paying a quarterback too much money, and then b because he's so great as a player, you're you're never gonna be a Super Bowl team or a Super Bowl winning team, but you're always gonna be a playoff team because he's so great. And so you're never going to have that high pick to maybe get that that franchise changing player. So yeah, I would do that because you know then then you get the number three pick and you can take you know you could take your quarterback of the future or if you think Jordan loves your quarterback of the future, which I don't think that they they do feel that. Um, you know you could take a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or 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 you could take Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. Yeah, I'd probably do that because you'd have Jimmy G as your quarterback and you could groom one of those young guys. And then you'd pick up, you know, another, if you're the Packers, you know, if, I mean, yeah, I, I would do that. I would do that. So, I mean, let me think about this. Hold on a second. So they offered, so the Packers would, would the Packers keep their first round pick in that, in that situation? That's the thing I'm wondering. So the Packers would move up to number three, right? And they would, they would get Jimmy G, the number three pick, and then they'd give up Aaron Rodgers. So the Packers wouldn't be giving up their first round pick. So yeah, that would be a good rebuild. Sometimes I have to let those things process through or something a little bit. Yeah, I would I would do that if I was the Packers. I, I would do that. That'd be a really good way to rebuild, especially if they can keep their first. If they can keep pick twenty nine, uh, which I don't know if they'd be. I didn't see the proposal, so I don't know if they had to give up if they had to give that up or not. Anyway, Thomas Wall, uh, Four Horsemen, who do you want the Broncos to take? Okay, so this is an interesting one. I have been back and forth on this a lot. So initially, I was like, hey, take Micah Parsons. He's a and they need help at linebacker, and he's probably the best linebacker in the draft. He's big and athletic. But I have really big question marks about Micah Parsons off the field. Uh his some of his the the issues he's gotten into going all the way back to high school and then stuff that he's been accused of at Penn State. I, I would have to do a lot of digging 
if I was a team to into his background to feel comfortable taking him that high. For me, you know, I would like to see Denver. I wouldn't mind seeing them if they stay at nine. I'd like to see them maybe draft J.C. Horn. And I know they they signed Kyle Fuller in the offseason and 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 at corner they have some guys. But I, I to me, I would I would take J.C. Horn at nine. If they don't take J.C. Horn, I'd like to see them trade down to you know 14, 15. Like if let's say, you know, let's say that either Fields or Mac Jones is available at nine and the Patriots want to move up to nine, I'd take that move in a heartbeat, pick up another second or a third or something like that, trade down to 15 and take a Wusu or take Parsons there if he's still there. Uh, you know, I would I would take a Wusu Koromoa there. I if if Horn's still there, I'd have him on the board. I think you could then start maybe looking at right tackle because I think Denver is very close to having a really good offensive line, assuming now this is assuming that Garrett Bowles breakout year from last year continues. And it wasn't just a, you know, he's playing for his fifth year option type of thing. I don't like Juwan James. I didn't like that signing to begin with. I don't think that's a guy that really cares about being a football player. I think he's very fragile. I would I would be comfortable moving on from him. I think there's other needs there, but if they decided to take Rashawn Slater there, uh, I'd be okay with that. If they traded down even a little bit further, I'd be okay with them taking Liam Eikenberg and, and playing him at right tackle. But if they're at 15 and a guy like Jeremiah Usukoromoa is there, that's that's I mean not just because he's a Notre Dame guy, but I would think about this: what could Vic Vangio, who's one of the I think one of the more creative defensive minds in the game, what would he do with a guy like Jeremiah Usukoromoa? And again, what's Denver's big issue at linebacker? They have good run defenders at linebacker, I think. They don't have good pass guy. They don't, they don't cover well at, at linebacker. They need guys who can cover. And I think Jeremiah Wusu Koromo could do that. And then you look at the league they're in. You know, the Raiders are gonna, you know, they're gonna run the ball a lot, but they like to throw it the quick game and the West Coast stuff. And I think he'd fit well there. Their best pass catcher is a tight end. I think he'd fit well there. You have the Chiefs and their pass heavy offense. You have a great wet second level weapon there who could defend. You know, their their slots, their tight end and their backs. And then you of course have Justin Herbert with the Chargers, who's a an up and coming star, potential star in the NFL. So I think you that would be a really, really nice pick uh to see that, uh to see a Wusu Koromoa. But I just I couldn't justify taking him ninth for value from a value standpoint. But if they can trade down, let somebody else take a quarterback, accumulate more picks, and then you get Jeremiah Wusu Koromo and a second or a third round pick, and maybe another pick to go with it. That would make me very happy as a Broncos fan. All right. Dynasty ISP, who's the top pick next year for Notre Dame? That's going to be Kyle Hamilton, and that's that's a no-brainer. I think every mock draft I'm seeing, and it's way too early for this, but I've seen mock drafts and people ranking 2022 prospects, and they're having Kyle Hamilton as a top 5-10 to 10 player. If he continues to make the growth that he's made from year 1 to year 2 and he makes a similar, just a normal year 2 to year 3 jump from what he already is, he, to me, he's a he's a top ten to top fifteen pick next year at the at worst. He is a, a game changer. I think the only thing that could hurt him is if he went out and ran like a bad forty time, like ran like a four six or something like that. Then people might say, well, can he can he be a safety or does he need to be kind of like in a Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa role? But I think Kyle Hamilton's going to be a very very high pick next year. I think you look at the the rest of their draft class. It's you know because maybe Jarrett Patterson comes out. He might be a, a day two guy, in my opinion, second, third round kind of guy. None of their receivers right now are, are that. Michael Mayer can't come out. I think Kyron Williams could come out. But again, running backs aren't super valued in the NFL right now. And if Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are borderline first round picks, then then Kyron Williams won't be a first round pick. Defensively, 
you know, Jason Adamiola with a big year could could be a guy that could get into the middle rounds, but you know, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to threaten Kyle Hamilton to be a the top pick. And Drew White's not going to be that guy. Uh, Myron Tungavaloa, most is not going to be that guy. I did see one mock draft that had Myron Tungavaloa getting picked in the seventh round this weekend, which would be very interesting since he's not eligible for the draft. Yeah, looking at it, I just I don't see. I think a lot of Notre Dame's best prospects right now are are guys that can't come out. You know, if you look at the draft, you look at you know Kyle Hamilton could come out this year. He will next year, but Michael Mayer can't come out next year. Um, you know, so I, I think that's an interesting one. But I think that that Blake Fisher is going to be has a potential to be a high pick down the road. But I, I think next year, if anyone emerges as a first, second, third round pick other than Kyle Hamilton, it's going to be someone that breaks out. It's not going to be someone like Isaiah Foskey. You know, if Isaiah Foskey goes out there and has 12 sacks this year and has kind of a Justin Tuck breakout as a junior, could he come out and get picked high? Yeah, absolutely. He's that good. I just would like to see him come back maybe for a senior year because I think he still needs a lot of work. But if he has a breakout year, then I can see it. All right, David Knight, how did you become a Bron- come to be a Broncos fan? I don't have an opinion about them either way, just asking. So I don't remember how. This is the story my dad tells. I was a Broncos fan as long as I can remember. My parents, my mom and my dad were both Washington Redskins fans. Uh, so so that's what my household was. I grew up in Northwest Ohio, surrounded by nothing but Cleveland Brown fans. So I don't know how I became a Broncos fan, like from a recollection standpoint. Now, the story my dad tells is my dad used to subscribe to Sports Illustrated. And apparently in Elway's, one of Elway's early seasons, and it had to have happened before their first Super Bowl season because I had already become a Broncos fan by the time uh, they went to the Super Bowl would have been 86, right? That was against the Giants. So I, had, I was already a Bronco fan by then. So I was only eight. So sometime before then, my dad said that uh, he had a Sports Illustrated that had John Elway on the cover or it was like in the magazine. And I just saw it and I was like, that's my guy. Like, that's my team. And I just became a Broncos fan immediately. And that's the story he tells. And of course, I I stayed a Broncos fan, and it was it was really originally because of John Elway. But then, of course, you, you you fall in love with the franchise, and and then of course they had the three Super Bowl losses, and then of course uh, they get Terrell Davis and Rod Smith and Shannon Sharp and Neil Neil Smith signs and Alfred Williams signs and those kind of guys. And my first my first year I played football, my first jersey number was twenty seven because number one and number seven were taken, so I picked twenty seven because of Steve Atwater. Now, that was my first year playing football. I didn't you know, didn't really think about the fact that as a quarterback, it's a pretty stupid number to have. But you know, I just I was a big uh, big Steve Atwater fan, so I loved watching him play. So he so I I came to grew to love like other players. Like I met Carl Mecklenburg once. He was a really nice guy. But I remember watching him play Simon Fletcher for those old, old Bronco teams. Tyron Braxton with that goofy face mask. Dennis Smith uh, and Steve Atwater were probably the, the most physical one two combination of safety from back then. You know, I, I like those guys. You know, they had the three amigos. I mean, they, they always had these things that you liked about them. The only person I didn't like with the Broncos is Dan Reeves. I felt Dan Reeves kept John Elway from being, you know, a couple more Super Bowls, in my opinion. But uh, when they finally got a, a legit head coach and put some talent around him, you know, they, they won a couple of Super Bowls. Imagine if they'd have done that when he was in his prime. You know, th- that Broncos team could have could have won a whole lot of games. So. You know, that, that's that's how I became a Broncos fan, a state of Broncos fan. I'm not as big of a Broncos fan now as I was as a kid just because, you know, with doing this job, even when I was coaching, 
it was difficult to stay up at the Broncos because Sunday is such a day where we're breaking down the film of the game we just played. And then we're looking at, we're starting game plan on the film that we're going to play next. So you, I'd record the games, but then it's like, well, when did I have time to watch? So I was, I stayed a fan, but just not the same level of fan that I was when I was, when I was a kid and when I was in high school and in college, in college, it was cool. I could be a Broncos fan because Sundays were our off day when we, when I played. And, you know, I mean, the coaches were in there doing all that work, which I found out later when I became a coach. But as a player, you go to the, you go to the training room in the morning, you go to the cafeteria for lunch, and then you come home, you watch football all day. I mean, that's just kind of what we would do. And so I, I had a chance to, uh, uh, to, to still be that guy, you know, to still be that fan kind of thing. But I'm just – and I don't like the game as much as, as I used to. I don't like the rules. I, I don't like that they're taking the physicality of it. I don't like that quarterbacks are these fragile beings that can't be hit anymore. Um, you know, so I just, there's a lot of things about the NFL that I just don't enjoy as much anymore, but I'm, I mean, I'm still a Broncos fan. I still follow the Broncos. I still see what they do. I still have an interest in who they draft and those type of things. So it's a big year for them. They, they, they need to strike it with this pick. And I, I would love to see them stick with Drew Locke. I think Drew Locke, if with a full off season, what young town around him could be a, a good player. Of these three quarterbacks, who do you think will have the most NFL success? Ian Book, Shane Bouchelle, or Sam Ehlinger? Um, boy, I, that's a tough one to work with because I don't know if I have confidence that any of those guys are going to have success in the NFL. I, I mean, look, I'm going to take a little bit of a cheating answer and just say part of it depends on on where they go. But if I had to, if I had to pick one of those three guys, I'd probably go with Shane Bouchelle. I, I like him as a quarterback. I, I think he's a good football player. I think he's got, you know, he's an accurate guy. He, to me, he shows better anticipation and timing than Ian Book does. And, and uh, you know, he, he's not he's not obviously as, as mobile as athletic. But look, here's the thing. Here's the reason I, I don't pick Ian Book there. What's my big knock on Ian Book? My, my big knock on Ian Book is that he just doesn't make quick decisions. He doesn't process information quickly. He just never progressed the way that I think a quarterback should progress. If you're going to be someone that is is being you know talked about as an NFL quarterback, you know everything happens so quickly, and if you struggle with some of that in college, I'd say how are you going to handle it in the NFL when the windows are super tighter? And I just I just think he's going to have a harder time really playing to that level. And when I look at you know Shane Bouchelle, yes, he played at a, a lower level and he played in the in the American Athletic Conference, but. You know, I see a guy that that threw a lot of deep balls, a guy that was accurate throwing the deep ball. I see a guy that that doesn't necessarily have the big arm, but you know, he's he's smart, he's accurate, those good timing. I think Shane Bichelle is going to be a good backup quarterback, and if he gets thrust into some starting situations, could could have some success. My only issue with Shane Bichelle is I don't know how he's going to hold up. He's a, he's a smaller guy, but I'd probably take him. I love Sam Ellinger as a as a college quarterback. He's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he was just a gamer, gritty player, but. Not only does he not have a big arm, he's got a really slow release, and he's not a super accurate guy. And those things are really bad combinations for me in the NFL. Where at least Ian Book has, um, uh, at least Ian Book has, uh, uh, you know, qu a real quick release and, in, in, in my opinion, a stronger arm for him. Let's see here, uh, David Knight. Why can't the Colts seem to draft more Notre Dame players? That's definitely an out of bounds question. But do you have an opinion? I mean, I, I mean, are you looking at David because they're regional? And, you know, hey, they happen to be in the region, so why not pick guys from close by? Um, you know, I, may, I, I think that'd be kind of the only thing you can think of. For me, it's it's you take the best player available, and and 
I think the Colts have actually missed on some opportunities to get Notre Dame players. I felt last year that that them passing on Chase Claypool was a mistake. And look, I like Michael Pittman. I think Michael Pittman's a good player. I think Michael Pittman had a, if I remember correctly, I'm gonna look up the stats here real quick. But I thought he had a good a good season, right? Last year as a rookie, yeah, 40 catches for 503 yards and a touchdown. But what did Chase Claypool do? Obviously, Chase Claypool was a much better player, and. and you know, his numbers, let's look at his working numbers, 62 catches for 873 yards, nine touchdowns, plus he rushed for, let's see here, two more touchdowns. Yeah, 11 touchdowns as a rookie. So I felt the Colts made a mistake by not drafting Chase Claypool, but I wouldn't have drafted him because he was close by. I just think that he was a better player. I think if they graded a Notre Dame player out as the best player in that spot, then they'll take him. But I don't I don't think the regional stuff really matters a whole lot. You have to take the best player. Cause even then it's like you may be drafting a guy from a regional college, but the way it works anymore, you're not necessarily drafting a guy that's regional to that area, especially at a place like Notre Dame from the standpoint of, um, you know, Chase Claypool, for example, is from Canada. You know, if, if you drafted, you know, Kevin Austin, he's from Florida. If you drafted Quentin Nelson, he's from New Jersey. He's not exactly a local player. So I just the way I look at it is I just don't see a lot of need to um, to to do that. So I I just take the best guy at a position of need. I I think you don't ever just draft the best player available, uh, but you also don't see you also shouldn't just take the biggest need. I think it needs to be a combination of those two things. You know, if the best player available is a quarterback and you're the Chiefs, you're not taking a quarterback in the first round, which is one of the reasons why I hate. Hey, dislike Dan Reeves because he drafted Tommy Maddox instead of giving John Elway more talented receiver and offensive lineman. So it's never the best player available purely. It's a combination of the best player available at a position of need. And I think that's how teams should more often draft. And, and if there's a local player, here's where the local player should come into play, David. Now that, you know, as I think through it, if you're a team that's, if it's at a position where, it's a high profile position. So like quarterback, maybe left tackle, but defensive end. And it's a situation where maybe your franchise needs sort of a, a face and you're like, Hey, we're the Colts and Notre Dame has this, you know, let's say the Colts didn't trade for Carson Wentz. Right. And let's say that, um, and, and, or you know, let's just say Tyler Buckner becomes a star quarterback. Right. And, in three years, Carson Wentz isn't working out, and you're Notre Dame. You know, in Heis- you know, it's Notre Dame. It's Heisman Trophy winner, and Tyler Buckner's great. And and you need a new face of your franchise. You say, okay, maybe do we take the local guy? Then I think you might consider it, but only because you view him as an elite player. It's more of a of, a, of an added bonus as opposed to a reason to draft a guy, if that makes sense. So I think that could be maybe like everything is equal, and maybe that's the thing that puts you over the edge. The guy that maybe is more of a face of the franchise type of guy but that would be the only reason you got to take the best player available at a position of need is is the way that i see it so um uh, thanks anytime i enjoy it i enjoy answering questions as you guys all uh, guys and gals all know so all right i think that's it nobody has any more questions so that's going to do it for today's nfl draft talk obviously tonight the nfl draft starts tonight around seven o'clock i believe it's seven o'clock going to be very interesting. I'm hoping that two guys get their name called tonight, and tomorrow is really going to be when I'm going to be locked in and really cautiously optimistic uh, to see some players go. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm hoping that Robert Hainsey gets picked higher than people project. I'm hoping Tommy Trumbull does. I'd like to see Dalen Hayes and Ogantiji get going. Um, uh, (laughs) Connor, come on, man. 
they they were the Redskins when my parents rooted for them. Okay, now they're just the Washington football team. But my parents weren't a fan of the Washington football team when I was a kid because the Washington football team did not exist. The Washington Redskins existed, and I picked up your sarcasm on that one. So uh, appreciate it as always. I appreciate everybody joining us today. And I know that sometimes when we do more and more shows, it, it may make it harder for everybody to be a part of it. But I really appreciate everybody being a part of the show today. Uh, I'll probably be on Twitter. I may do like a live draft blog at irishbreakdown.com where you can come in and chat, but I, I don't know if I'll do that. And I'll probably wait till Saturday for the blue gold game for that. But make sure you are with us on the chat on Saturday. We will have a live chat on Saturday uh, where we will be talking about the game. I'll be giving updates, giving my thoughts and analysis in live fashion, but it'll be in written form. So make sure you check out that at irishbreakdown.com. Uh, share your thoughts, share your feedback as you're watching the game because everyone's going to be watching it from their couch, except for me. I'll be up in the press box watching it from a seat, but we'll all be seated. None of us will be in the uh, in the uh, the bleachers, obviously. Appreciate that, Spartan B. Really, really appreciate that. And that was a good question earlier. So uh, it, it definitely is something that has a lot of people. I've got a lot of people reach out to me fired up about that, a Brian Kelly quote. Um, so uh, tomorrow, Friday morning at on irishbreakdown.com, I will have an article out that has um, that has how to watch the game, links to it, how to sign up for Peacock, how you can get Peacock for free uh, just as like for a time being, but also how you can get Peacock permanently uh, for free if you're a, uh, if you are a member, if you are already have an uh, Xfinity or Cox member co- uh, account, essentially. So we do have an Xfinity account, so we are able to actually watch it. So uh, not worry about that, but I'll have that out tomorrow and I'll have all the spring coverage, all the, the practice, um, all the practice film, all the, that we've gotten from Notre Dame and all that type of stuff will also be in that article. So look out for that tomorrow morning at irishbreakdown.com. And until then, enjoy the draft, stay safe, be well, and we will talk to you again very soon. And as always, please check out irishbreakdown.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like this podcast and all the others and hit the notification bell. So that way, you know, when we have other podcasts showing, so everybody have a great, safe, awesome rest of your day. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon.